Come with me on an exploration of self-discovery. On this podcast, we decipher what really matters as we unravel the chaos of day-to-day work to learn how to build an essential life. I've been teaching recently, especially since writing Effortless, that we should not do more today than we can recover from today. But over the last two or three weeks, I've been in range of violating that all the time. I've still been showing up for the things that matter most to me, but I can feel a bit more depleted in my energy as the days go by, and it's taking a toll. And I don't think I'm the only one. I think after a year and a half of the pandemic, with all the responsibilities of our lives, there are many people, perhaps you as you're listening to this, feeling the same. Maybe teetering right on the edge of exhaustion sometimes, or sometimes even fully past it. And so for this reason, I've invited my friend Molly Fletcher to the podcast today. Molly has spent half a lifetime working with elite pro athletes, negotiating on their behalf in a variety of ways to make sure that they were at their peak in the high-stake moments of their careers. And now she's taking all of that experience in helping the rest of us to be able to do the same. She's done many things, including writing a book called The Energy Clock. But today, I really want Molly to help me and you to be able to manage our energy better so that we can be in our prime to do the priority work of our lives. Molly Fletcher, welcome to the What's Essential podcast. Great to be with you, Greg. Thanks for having me. Molly, can you give me a Reader's Digest version of how you got here, birth to this moment? <laughs> wow, well, I'll keep it tight. I, uh, I grew up in Michigan, played tennis at Michigan State with two older brothers and um, two wonderful parents, super grateful for my, for my family. And, and then after I graduated from Michigan State playing tennis, I knew I wanted to stay in the business of sports, but you know, I didn't know exactly what that might mean or what that would look like. But a, a couple of our my friends from high school and I just decided, you know what, let's go somewhere. Let's go somewhere and let's try to sort of dig into this sports marketing space somehow. And so we sat in my parents' living room and, you know, thought about all these different cool places we could go. And then we settled on Atlanta because the Super Bowl was coming, the Olympics was coming. There was a, you know, pro team, sports teams. And so I moved down to Atlanta in 93 without a job, Greg, I had 2000 bucks and I had a friend who had gotten down before me a couple months prior to me. And so I slept on her couch and I negotiated a gig uh, to teach tennis at an apartment complex in exchange for my rent within about a week of arriving, which is huge because now my 1700 bucks would go a little farther, right? Yes. And so that gave me just a little bit of breathing room because, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was head back to Michigan, sort of with my tail between my legs, not finding something. And I got a couple different internships, paid internships, and a couple different opportunities that fell in my lap. And then, well, that I looked for and worked hard for. And then, and then, uh, you know, I had this sort of belief that when we ask for advice, we get a job. And when we ask for a job, we get advice. And so I began to connect with lots of different people with really this sort of mindset of how do I get them to like and respect me enough to want to help me or hire me? And so it was my full-time job to, to find a job um, that was more aligned in the sports space. I'd done a few different little sort of odds and end gigs, Super Bowl host committees, some things. And then I got an opportunity 
to work at a small agency in Atlanta where we had a few NBA coaches and a baseball player. And I was hired to go do endorsement and appearance deals for the athlete and the coach that coaches that we had. And then after about a couple months of doing that, it was right around the Olympics when they were in Atlanta, I thought, how are we going to grow? I mean, how are we going to continue to get more athletes and coaches? Because that's, that's really where the opportunity is here to make a bigger impact. And so I presented a business plan to our, our leader and said, hey, can I, can I go start with baseball? There's all these baseball players in Atlanta. Let's go sign more guys and, and represent them and do their deals. And, and of course, I probably, Greg was standing there in a pair of <laughs> pink pants and heels. And he thought, well, how's this going to work? I mean, you certainly didn't play in the big leagues. And I, fortunately, he blessed it. And I started recruiting baseball players. And, you know, fast forward 18 years, I signed about 300 athletes, coaches, broadcasters, golfers, baseball players, et cetera. And then I wrote a book around the common thread between peak performers, their mindset, their beliefs. And then I wrote another one. And then companies started saying, hey, will you come talk about it? And so I started speaking sort of for fun. And then I thought, wow, this is really connecting with people. This metaphor of sports is serving people. It's helping people in really significant ways. This is interesting. I think this is actually more aligned with what I want to do. I want to run down this road full time. And so now I speak about 80 days a year. We've taken, I've written five books now and we've taken a couple of those and rolled them up into training products, full day, sort of live and virtual training programs inside of sort of those particular books of of content. So that's the Reader's Digest version. I hope that was tight enough. (laughs) Well, I loved everything you just shared. It all started with, you know, you actually doing the sports itself. It's all grown out of that, you know, access to that interest in that experience with that. I mean, playing at college level is, you know, a serious achievement and it's, it's grown naturally from there. I mean, there's many lessons you've learned through this experience, but tell me, how have you come to this focus of managing energy versus just managing time? I, I sort of rewind the tape a bit. I, I remember sitting in my office with Matt Kuchar, who's a PGA Tour player, and we had lots of golfers. And, and I remember sitting in the office and we were planning his tour schedule for the following year. And we were sort of looking at what courses he plays well at, how many weeks on, how many weeks off. We were certainly looking at the majors and how do we peak at the majors? How do we make sure that we, that we plan our schedule in a way that we play well and, and have the energy for the golf courses that we've had success on, where we've consistently made the cut, where we've top 10. So I would spend all this time with my guys and my gals getting really clear on how do we spend our time aligning with and our energy aligning with what matters most in our life so that we peak in the big moments. And, and, and then I transitioned in the business world. And what I saw was so interesting, which is that you know, business people sort of accept meetings. And then they get to these meetings or these cocktail parties or these events. And they go, why am I here? What am I doing here? Do I really need to be here? Does this even really matter? And then, of course, the frustration builds. And then maybe they don't have the energy for the, the thing that in fact did matter the most in that day in their life or that week or that month. And so I began to recognize, gosh, what if business people could look at their lives through the lens of energy? In other words, look at their calendar through the lens of energy and in fact ensure that they aligned the things in their life that mattered most with their calendars. I, I had a baseball player, Greg, once who he was a first round draft pick. He was a stud. He was going to sign for you know, 10 plus million bucks coming out in the draft and total stud. And we're sitting in the office. He was coming out of high school. He was an 18 year old kid from a very tough background. And 
we were sitting in the office and of course he's a top round pick. So companies are coming at him with autograph signing deals, you know, appearances, endorsement deals, uh, appearance, speaking engagements, all this stuff. And I'm bringing this to this young man who is 18 years old, comes from a you know challenging background and he can sit in his living room and watch cartoons and sign his name for an hour and make 15 grand. And the young man looked at me and said, you know, Molly, here's what I know. I know that if I can get to the big leagues as, as quickly as I can, if I can put up great numbers, if I can play well in the field, if I can get the knocks, like I know I need to get at the plate. He said, all of these things in spades will be there. So I want to make sure that I focus on what matters most. And then all of this will be there and more if, if I do that. And so to me, ensuring that we as business people look at our calendars through the lens of the things in our lives that matter most. And you talk about this so well, Greg, as well. And, and, and then make sure that we're chasing the right stuff. You know, make sure that our ladder's leaning up against the right wall as we navigate our lives. Yeah, there's so much that's interesting to me in what you're saying. It seems like that problem of somebody going to some meeting, going to some event, that they don't even know why they're there and they're trying to make sense of it when, while they're there, where your calendar is really in control of your life rather than the other way around, right? Like that's problem one. And then problem two is what you've been describing where even if the thing is the most important thing and you've got that clear, it's not obvious that you're going to have the your peak energy at the peak moment. So I think that's a really crisp, clear goal that you had with these high performers is how can you make sure you peak at the right moment? Well, I, I, I think, uh, you know, what, what's important, it's, it's clarity, right? It starts with getting really clear. And, and, and one of the ways I like to think about it is identifying the areas in your life where failure is not an option. You know, I, I, we, we do energized leader training and, and in our training, I'll say to people, what are the areas in your life that matter so much to you that failure isn't an option? And you know what you hear is, well, you know, my, my marriage, my children, um, you know, my, my job. I mean, you hear all these different things. So, so then you, you have to ask the question, then what, are you focusing your energy effectively in these areas? And so getting clear is the first step. I can imagine with pro athletes, you could look at the whole calendar year uh, and even multiple years in advance, depending on what sport they're in and what their goals are, and identify here are the key competitions that you need to be at your peak for. Uh, in your coaching of other people now beyond pro sports, do you find that you can do it in such a long-term approach or is it is the nature of life less predictable uh, th than it would be for a pro athlete? How, how do you see that? Well, actually, I would challenge people to really start with, you know, what is your purpose in life? Why are you here? What matters most to you? What is that, what is that thing? You know, I always find it interesting, Greg, companies, they have mission statements and purpose statements and core values, and they lean into those to make decisions, right, about what to say yes to and what to say no to. Why don't we as people, too? Right, because if we have a mission statement as an individual, a purpose statement, then that allows us to use that as our filter. So I would say that clarity at the highest level, 30,000 feet up is key. And, and, and then I would say, do what I call an energy audit, right? So pull back and say, what are the things in your life that give you energy? 
Do you have a particular structure for what a mission statement should look like for a person uh, that would help produce enough clarity that they would know what to say yes and no to? Because sometimes I find mission statements to be so general that they actually don't produce the clarity they're supposed to. What, what have you guided people through that would, that would help others, uh, including me, to be able to do this better? To lead and fire and connect with courage and optimism. So I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you an example. Um, I, I was at a keynote, so you can relate to this. And my husband was home and he works full time and we have three daughters and they were young at the time. And he was exhausted. I mean, he was just drained. He was frustrated. The kids were crazy. Work was busy. I was out of town for like the third night in a row. And I could tell he was just, he was just done. And he's awesome. And we've been married almost 20 years. And, and, and as I was having this conversation with him, it was almost like he was frustrated with me. But it was a moment when I went, okay, I could go back at him and say, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to come home? I mean, I'm, I'm obligated to this keynote tomorrow. I don't know what you want me to do. But it was a moment I remember so distinctly in Orlando, standing in the lobby thinking, okay, live your mission. Lead, inspire, and connect right now with courage and optimism. Handle this conversation in a way that allows you to connect, that, that allows you to in, inject some courage and some optimism inside of this moment versus you know, g- going back at that moment and saying, well, what, 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 do you, what, what can I do in this moment? So what you're saying, I think, is that, you know, everybody has different things. If they're paying attention to their life, which things, uh, which are the greens, which are the things that give you energy, which are the things that, that, that drain you of energy and try to protect more of the first and, and somehow reduce or even remove the reds from your life. That's the, this is the energy audit. That's what you're describing. Absolutely. How can you protect your own energy while managing others' expectations of you, both at work and at home? Yeah, I would, I would say we have, to, we have to give ourselves permission to say no. You know, we have to really give ourselves permission to say no. And, and, and the mindset shift there is that, that you're saying yes to something that, that potentially prior to you've gotten clear on matters more. But, but we have to allow ourselves to, to let go and, and, and walk away and say no, because you know, we live in this world with phones and technology where you know, FOMO is real and, and people want to be everywhere in all things and, 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 and that isn't sustainable. And so we, we, we have to be intentional about having the courage to say no with, with love and with kindness. But, but to me, that's what allows us to, to show up for the people um, that matter most. I mean, nothing breaks my heart more than, than people that, that wake up and go and go and go all day long and they give their energy away to everybody at work and then they get home to the people in their lives that love them the most, that matter the most, and they don't have any energy left for them. What's the biggest fail you've had with energy management? You know, I would say it, it, it goes back to when I was a couple years into Atlanta, I had, um, you know, I was single. I, was running around. I was recruiting baseball players. I mean, we, we were having great success. My parents flew down to come and see me. And they are 
at the time and, and still are two of the most important people in my life. And they land and I'm excited. I mean, they're coming to see me in Atlanta. I moved, you know, away and I'm, you know, and we're sitting at lunch and the whole entire lunch, my phone rings and rings and rings and rings with one athlete after another calling, needing things. And I come back to the table after each call and I sit down and I keep going with the conversation with my parents who had literally just landed and we're sitting at this table. And my mom sort of is very practical and she's looked at me and she goes, what do they want? Hmm. And why can't it wait? And I said, and it that's was a really nice I, question. <laughs> yes. She's the truth teller, Greg. And mm. it was like I turned the fire hose on her and I said, oh, well, you know, his clubs didn't get there in time and he's frustrated because, you know, he needs his putter for this tournament and he don't want to use a different, you know, and, 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 and he's frustrated because his pitching, you know, his pitching toe isn't on his, on his, on his shoes and he thinks he's getting traded and she's not getting enough games and she's not getting enough units for the ESPN and she's frustrated. And I just turned the fire hose on her like it was life and death. Mm -hmm. And she, just by the way that she asked that question, by the way that she looked at me, it checked me. And she has been my energy clock, Greg. I mean, she is the person who I'd call up and say, oh, mom, it's unbelievable. I said, look, I mean, we're flying private. We got this, we're going to this game. We're, how cool it was. And she said, that's awesome, honey. I'm telling her how excited I am for something cool. And she says, how are the girls? How's Fred? And it just rechecked me. And so I would say, you know, that was one moment at that lunch, but there's been lots of little moments like that where, whether it was my husband, whether it was my mom, where they served as my energy clock to realign me, to get my bumper pads sort of checked and keep me centered. Underneath that story, I think there's a distinction that I have struggled with and still do, which is the difference between doing something that we think is impressive versus doing something that's actually essential. Mm -hmm. That's right. And, 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 you know, when we're around the people in our lives who matter most, probably the things that we do aren't really that important to them, right? What's essential is being fully present for them. That's really what they want, right? It's for us to really show up and be, be fully present. Yes, and when we get it wrong, it can create multiple levels of conflict because on the one hand, you want someone to be impressed. But don't you see this, this, this thing just happened? I was flying private with these pro athletes and it's, this is amazing. And how that feels on the other side of it is like, yeah, but we don't, we do care about you, but we don't care about that. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And, and, you know, I think what this ro rolls up a little bit into is, is sort of what we were talking about earlier relevant to purpose, because to me, what, what can happen to your point is, is that we get caught in this hamster wheel where we think it's about achievement. But to me, achievement doesn't bring fulfillment at all. Purpose does, right? Achievement is fleeting. Fulfillment is lasting. And we know that relationships and human connection drive our human fulfillment. And, you know, I, I mean, having spent so much time with athletes who have won Cy Youngs, who've won PGA Tour events, who've won majors, who've gotten Emmys, it's really exciting in the moment, but then it goes away. And so if all we're doing is chasing that next trophy, that next achievement, 
it's never going to be enough and it's empty. And so that's why I'm so passionate about this because I think we as people have to chase fulfillment, not achievement. That that's in fact what we as human beings really want most. I remember reading an article years ago about the idea of the rise of the achievement ethic and the fall of everything else. Mm-hmm. That this has become such a value. Now, I'm just riffing on it, but I sort of really imagine a future where there could be achievement anonymous sessions where people really did get just as trapped and just as addicted in achievement cycles as other people have with drugs or with alcohol or with any number of other addictions. Mm. That difference between achievement and fulfillment, uh, I mean, that's a really deep distinction. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I think at some level, historically, the traditional business environment has made people think that they have to pick, that they have to choose achievement or fulfillment, that they can't have both. But I think when we get really clear on things like our purpose, when we get really clear on where our energy goes, we can, you know, as as a Enneagram three, right, I, I am all about getting after it and, and clipping away and, and sort of continuing to try to up my game. But you can do it and marry it with fulfillment. And to me, that's really the mission that, you know, some of us are on. And I think recognizing that that this can, that has been presented potentially as a bit of a false choice, that you can have one or the other, but you can't really have both, right? Like that if you're going to choose that big career and that big job and that big title that, that you're going to leave fulfillment to the side, or if you're going to choose fulfillment and, 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 and work for a nonprofit or stay at home and not work in the outside business world that you've chosen fulfillment. I, I think that we can have both with intentionality. I keep hearing you use the word intentionality. And of course, lots of people uh, use that word now, right? It's a, it's a themed word. I wonder if what you mean when you say the word intentionality is more like trade-offs. If we make the right trade-offs, then we can get a better selection of the things that really matter to us. Yeah, I think you said that really well. I mean, I think that if, in part, it's it's clarity, right? It's 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 that clarity, and and then the intentionality to me is the behavior that ties to the clarity that you've created. What is something essential to you in your life right now that you're underinvesting in? Sleep. I need to do a little bit of a better job there as of late. I mean, traditionally I've been, uh, I am a huge proponent of sleep. I think it is incredibly important. Um, But I have uh, not done as good of a job as I need to um, in, in that regard. To me, sleep is a superpower. It's incredibly important. Yeah. I've put myself in that same category. Uh, I'm, I haven't been especially well over the last couple of weeks, and so I have now slept more. But it's, it's, in a sense, it's the wrong kind of sleep, or at least it was a reactive sleep. It's like, well, you have to now. You, okay. you know, your body takes over. Well, 
you know, you didn't make the choice, we'll make it for you. <laughs> well, and you know, we have to listen to our bodies. And so good for you for, for listening to your body. And, you know, I think one of the things that we have to consider as we think about what we've been talking about is, and, and as people listening consider is, you know, to, to be gentle on ourselves, right? That there is a lot coming at a lot of people right now. And I think that inside of all of these things that we're talking about, when we lean into maybe a little bit of change, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe you've heard something, maybe people listening say, hey, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that. I'm going to do that. And you know maybe it works, and 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 maybe you fall off for a second, again, right? Sort of that clarity and that intentionality. But but being gentle on ourselves as we try to make changes, because what we know is that when we make changes in our lives, it's going to be hit with some resistance. But if we're clear enough, if we know it matters, if we want it bad enough, that shift that we're trying to make, then. The challenges along the way, the speed bumps, the hurdles, the hiccups, you, you want to go over them, right? You want to go through it anyway. I mean, you know, Greg, I, I, I was a, a female sports agent. I mean, there wasn't any other female sports agents at the time, right? So I was met with a lot of resistance initially, but I believed enough and I wanted it enough, right? That, I, that, that the speed bumps were just sort of there, but I was also gentle on, on, on myself along the way. And I think we need to keep that front and center too as we make shifts in our lives. And now let's just take a moment for an ad break. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. <coughs> Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point of sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify magic, which is your AI powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Greg.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And now, back to our conversation. I recently ran um, a workshop with um, top leaders of a major company, and I had them answer the question, what's the most important thing you need to do today? And then I just asked them to write down, why does that matter? Why does that matter? And why does that matter? So three levels of why. And I did it at the same time so that I could have the same experience. And my most important thing for that day was to get home to my family safely and well-rested. That was the goal. And then when I got to the whys, I found myself tapping into surprisingly deep answers. And it really did ground me in understanding again, renewing again, why the sleep is so essential. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not just a nice to have. It's not just, well, you know, you, you just generally make better decisions. Of course you do. It's not just, well, you have a better quality of life, which of course you do. It's because I will, what, what I wrote down was, I will miss what matters most. I will miss the moment. And so without any deliberate attempt within me, it just became obvious that I needed to have a goal to make up 100 hours of sleep before the end of the year. You know, just like that just needs to happen. And it didn't feel like I had to force something there. I didn't even feel like I was really trying to generate a goal. It just became self-evident that if I could make up an hour of sleep per day between now and the end of the year, then I wouldn't miss what mattered most. Mm. And so it connected for me in a deeper way. A lot of people, I think, get trapped in non-essential activity because they believe that life is this false dichotomy between a polite yes on the one hand or a rude no on the other. And the breakthrough is where you discover that life is a negotiation, that there's this third very rich, broad uh, category. <laughs> and I'm just curious, given that you've spent, let's say, half a lifetime in the role of an agent operating at really the highest levels, negotiating constantly negotiating on behalf of other people, but nevertheless. What lessons have you learned there that are portable, specific, tactical things that the rest of us can do in our negotiations to make sure that we negotiate enough time to have enough energy to be able to do the things that matter most? Negotiation tips that are portable for people to deploy in their own lives is what I'm hearing you say. Yes. 
I, you know, I did. I'm, I negotiated about a half a billion in deals and, and, and did it every day, as you can imagine, with, with, these, with these athletes. You know, I, I would say a couple things. One is, I think one of the biggest mistakes people make with negotiation is they spend a lot of energy and time thinking about planning for, worrying about preparing what they want, what they want, what matters most to them, all the terms, all the conditions, all the bonus, whatever it might be, what they want. I think one of the biggest things that people can lift up and apply is get in the head and the heart of the person that you are negotiating with. What matters to them? What gaps do they have? How are you in fact closing those gaps? And, and, and you know, when, when I was negotiating a baseball player's contract, yes, I wanted to spend time preparing for what we wanted. That's critical. But I also wanted to say, where is the team's payroll? Who do they have in the minor league system? Who's on the free agent market, right? Who could they trade for? What's the market look like for this role, for this position? So getting your head and heart inside of the person that you're negotiating with so that you can connect. You know, to me, negotiation is just a conversation. Now, it can be a difficult one, but that's what it is. It's a conversation. And so we know that conversations it continue when we connect. So I, I would say, number one, take the time and the energy to get clear on what matters most to the person that you're negotiating with. How much of your work in negotiation would you do ahead of time? Let's say proactive listening, where you're doing research and you're thinking through their problems and you're thinking through what the priority is for them and you're writing that down as a sort of cheat sheet for the conversation and how much is it just being present in the conversation? What ratio would you put on that? I would say it's probably 40-60, 40 prep, 60 being present, listening, getting in their world, you know, really understanding what matters most to them. And, and, and you know, one of the things I think is important to point out here, Greg, is that sometimes people think in a negotiation that it all has to happen in that one meeting. Mm. It has to happen right now. And it generally doesn't. So what we can do if, if, we, if we prepare, but then we go in there curious, right? Not defensive, but curious. And, and we really, really listen. Then we can take that back and again, sort of recalibrate, reboot. And we can maybe go back and we can listen and we can learn and we can get, you know, and then we can go back. But I think one of the mistakes people make is they think, I got to do it all right now. I've got to come to terms right now. And, and in fact, to me, you don't have to generally, right? Particularly, by the way, if you've built a great relationship, if you've built a great foundation, if you've connected, then you're going to be positioned where it's not going to be a take it or leave it situation because there's mutual respect. There's a relationship there. What are some tangible things you would actually search for or write down or or do in preparation for the negotiation? Well, you know, a couple things. I mean, one is, um, you know, I would pull back and say, from a strategic perspective, what are the things that matter most to this person? From a logistical perspective, what matters most? From a relational perspective, what matters most? I, I would identify sort of some of those kinds of categories and I would pull back and say, what are the things that matter most to them around this? And I would spend a lot of time saying, how are they wired? Who are they? What matters most to them? I had a general manager once that I was negotiating with and 
he was totally financially focused, right? Like that was all that mattered to him was I have $80 million on my payroll. How much is this guy going to cost me? Whatever. He didn't care that he was bringing up the young guys, that he was a leader in the clubhouse, that he sold more jerseys than anybody else, that he was an all-star. He didn't care about any of that. All he cared about is how much is this guy going to cost me? So what I needed to know was what mattered most to him. So I think we've got to know what and what's the wiring, if you will, right? Just like we're right or left-handed, just like we have personality styles, what's the, what's the style, if you will, of the person that you're negotiating with? And how do you get inside of that and then begin to anticipate and lead with potentially the things that matter most to them to drive connection? Yeah, you just said something really great, that phrase, if this is what this relationship is going to look like. That's what you're really doing in a negotiation. You're signaling to people what the relationship is going to look like. And yet, so often we can be focused on winning this round that we signal exactly the wrong kind of relationship, the kind of relationship people don't really want to be in. And so changing that, it moves it to a long game type conversation. But but similarly, in our lives, in our negotiations with other people, it's, it is, I think, what you're saying, playing the long game, giving first, giving what's valuable, disproportionately valuable to the other person, might not even be expensive to you. But you, if you understand what matters to them, this is one of the ways that real value is produced. It's cheap for you. It's valuable to them. That's right. I mean, at some level, what we're saying is be relational, not transactional. Molly Fletcher, it has been a real pleasure to have this conversation today to explore how we can be um, smarter, wiser about how we utilize our energy so we have uh, something in the tank to do what's essential, but also these skills and these counterintuitive approaches in negotiating what matters most with the people who matter most. Thank you for being with us. It's a pleasure. I'm a big fan of your work, so thanks for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, essentialists, one and all, we've come to that moment again, the end of the show. Thank you, really, sincerely, thank you for listening. It's been amazing to see what's happened already with this show. Just in the first year, it's become the top five self-improvement podcast on Apple uh, and within the top 10 in the education category. That's really an amazing first year, and you are the ones that have made it happen. Thank you. You've made it special. I want to end today's show with something that means a lot to me, and it's this simple reminder. If you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. That matters. That is what's essential.
This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.